0: Good times, good times, good times, oh baby, good times. the first episode of A Quarter Century. I realize we don't need any more podcasts, but the point of this is to celebrate great records that are hitting the 25-year the mark, the quarter century mark, obviously. Uh, some episodes are going to have guests, some will just be me. Um, all of them are going to focus on specific records that are turning 25 years old. I made out a list uh, the goal is to release them all on the actual anniversaries of those records. We'll see if I can actually pull that off or not. I'm, I'm gonna do my best though, I'm gonna give it a shot. Um, I had this idea in the context of bands playing anniversary shows. I'm sure you've seen them. Some are for 10 year anniversaries, some are for 20, uh, obviously some for 25. And I thought it would be cool with a lot of the bands that I listened to growing up Uh, who have records that are turning 25, that it'd be cool to just throw out podcast episodes uh, at the same time as those records were having that anniversary and talk about them a little bit. If nothing else, it's a fun way to revisit records that we we used to love listening to. So here we are. Um, As I started to map this whole thing out and decide what I wanted to talk about, it became really clear where I should start. And that was with Blink 182, Dude Ranch. So as I started to map this whole thing out and decide what records I wanted to talk about, it quickly became very clear that I needed to start with Blink-182's Dude Ranch. I will first off give a huge disclaimer. I grew up in San Diego. I went to Poway High School. That is where Blink is from. It's important for a few reasons. Um, First of all, if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, wow, he really likes this record, it's 100% true. But the reason for that is that Blink entered my life literally at the moment I got to high school. Um, I bought their demo tape, which you'll you'll hear referred to as Buddha by people because of the artwork. Uh, I bought that in my Spanish class my freshman year in high school. And then Dude Ranch came out literally the week that I graduated from high school. Um, So this is all aging me, obviously, but if before this you were thinking that the guy doing the 25th anniversary podcast was like 28 years old, then um, I don't know what to tell you. The second thing I want to mention is growing up in San Diego, that type of music was highly influential anyway. So even if I hadn't gone to Poway High and been surrounded by Blink music and people who loved Blink all the time, it's likely that I still would have felt this way about this record. I know plenty of people from Southern California that have similar feelings. So worth pointing out both of those things. So let's do it. Dude Ranch, our first quarter century episode uh, released by Blink 182 on June 17th, 1997. So let's lay out all the players. Tom DeLonge played guitar and sang. Uh, Mark Hoppus played bass and sang. Scott Rayner played drums. And then it was produced by Mark Trombino and the band was managed by Rick debo I bring up all these people because they'll come up at different points and I want you to know who they are. One of the reasons it's fun to talk about Dude Ranch is because it was a launching pad for a band who, with only a few years, would arguably be the biggest rock band in the world, which is crazy. Um, some of the records we'll talk about in the future certainly don't have that kind of story. So this is unique in, in that sense, but that's that's part of the reason I wanted to start with With this one, and it's also part of the reason I think it's fun to go back and revisit this album, knowing what's what lays ahead for these guys, uh, who are making joke songs and just recording a punk record. So let me rewind a bit and lay some context before we talk about the actual record. Blink released Cheshire Cat, which was the album before Dude Ranch, in early 1995. One of the things that their manager Rick DeVoe did was market that band within the surf and skate community. You'll hear it referred to as active sports, which I think was a kind of a new term around then. But he made the decision to market them to those types of people, get them in videos, get them on those soundtracks for those videos. And that was a huge part of why Blink became as popular as they were. Here's a quote from Tom about that. Taylor Steele was putting our band along with the biggest surfers in the world. And back then, action sports wasn't really called action sports. But that lifestyle was very connected to punk rock music. So we had our first really big chance to win over any kind of fans within the surfing and skateboarding community. So, for example, Good Times. That was a surf video directed by Taylor Steele. Coming out of that video, Taylor Steele put together an actual tour of the bands that were on that soundtrack. That included Blink, um, that also included Pennywise, who was a much, much bigger band than Blink at the time. Another thing that happened, I think, stemming from that was Pennywise took Blink on tour with them to Australia, and that was huge. Uh, Blink became extremely popular in Australia with those fans who are notoriously music crazy and love punk music. Uh, I think in total, Cheshire Cat ended up selling around 70,000 copies, which... For a small punk band on a little label is crazy. So you can see why majors were going to be very interested in that. There's another thing going on at the exact same time that was really a catalyst for all of this. So let's talk about the general musical landscape in the mid-90s. Dookie by Green Day came out in February of 94. That was a major label record. I don't need to say much about that band or that record. obviously massive and huge. Um, If you're listening to this, you probably had that record and you probably love that record. But that really kicks off everything that I'm about to talk about, including what happened with Blink and Dude Ranch. Smash, which was by The Offspring, that came out just a couple months later in April of 94. So those two records together really brought punk to the mainstream uh, on the radio, MTV, all of that. And by that summer in 94... You couldn't even really listen to the radio without hearing something by one of those two bands. And it started this, this rush and this feeding frenzy to sign the next Green Day, even sign the next Offspring. Rancid was another band that's, you know, great band, already popular, but kind of on the, still on the indie punk scene as opposed to, to nationally or certainly globally. Um, but they were another band who benefited from this. They went on tour with Offspring as part of Offspring's tour for Smash, and that exposed them to a ton of new kids. Then MTV added their video, and they went through the whole major label process. In short, they ended up staying with with Epitaph. But they released uh, a record called And Out Come the Wolves in August of 95. So that's another one I think that's really important in this, this context. The next two... Uh, and really, the final two that I'm going to mention. One was from Unwritten Law, which was another band from Poway in San Diego. That record's called Oz Factor, and that came out in 96 in April. Blink and Unwritten Law were extremely popular bands in San Diego, but Unwritten Law was always the more popular of the two. Whenever they played together, UL was always the headliner there. And they had signed to a major label, and they released this album, Oz Factor, which was produced by the singer of Bad Religion, Greg Graffin. That's a pretty big deal. And I think there's another version of this story where UL ends up being this massively huge band. But, you know, we'll talk about that at some point when we talk about Armand a lot more. And then the final record I want to mention is by Jimmy Eat World, and that's called Static Prevails. That came out in July of 96, also on a major label, Capitol Records. So that was Jimmy Eat World's major label debut. They had just been signed. There weren't as much a punk band as the other bands that I just named. I think they, they do get lumped into that. These days, they're probably called more emo. There's a track on Dude Ranch called Emo that is a tribute to Jimmy World, essentially. But this record is frequently named by Mark and Tom as being highly influential to them. I even read Mark say at one point they listened to this record nonstop in their tour band when they were out on the road. So no doubt that album had a huge impact on them. And another piece of that that I think is integral to all of this is the guy who produced that album was Mark Trombino. That's who produced Dude Ranch as well. We'll talk about that a little more here in a second, but file that one away. So around this time, mid-1996, those records are coming out. Major labels, including you know bigger indies like Epitaph Records, were sniffing around trying to sign Blink. Uh, Blink ended up signing with MCA Records. There's you know, an interesting story about MCA acquiring the label that Blink was on for Cheshire Cat. But that whole timeline that I just described I think is fascinating. There's a lot going on. The, the musical landscape was changing. The types of bands that were becoming popular was changing. If you're interested in all that, I highly suggest reading a book called Sellout by Dan Ozzy. His last name is O-Z-Z-I if you want to look it up. It's a fantastic book that covers a bunch of bands in this punk scene that we're talking about and them having to make the decision in the mid-90s of whether they maintain that street credibility and stay with an independent or if they sign with the evil major label. So give that a read if that sounds interesting to you. So let's take it back to Dude Ranch. They sign their major label deal, they throw their celebratory party, uh, and it's time to make a record. So Blink lines up a producer, and they start checking out studios. One of the studios that they go to is Big Fish Studios, which is in Encinitas, California, kind of northern San Diego. Mark Trombino was there, as was another guy named O, who played in a San Diego band named Fluff. So anyone listening to this who's from San Diego is probably laughing right now and saying, of course, O is part of the story, because he was literally at every show in San Diego in the 90s, and I think he probably still is now. I still see him popping up places. Before I knew who he was, I was always wondering who this guy was that I would always see at every single show I went to. So obviously, O knew the Blink guys, and he introduced them to Mark Trombino. Trombino was and is a San Diego guy. He played drums in a band called Drive Like Jehu and produced a bunch of other San Diego bands too. So I think his feeling was, I'm from San Diego. These guys are from San Diego. I really want to work with them. So you can connect the dots on all of that, going back to that Static Prevails record that I talked about. And I think we can assume that there, there wasn't a whole lot of arm twisting required in order for, for Blink to accept that offer for him to produce it. So now they've got a producer. They're set to record at Big Fish there in Encinitas, and they're ready to roll. The job of a producer in a band is really to push them beyond what the band is capable of. So it's to get them out of their comfort zone and you're going to create a record that hopefully they wouldn't have been able to do on their own. And I think with Dude Ranch, Trombino certainly did this, particularly when it comes to the vocals that you'll hear. Um, Mark and Tom have really diametrically opposed voices. Mark's got this kind of monotone talk singy thing and Tom has his like high-pitched whine he really pushed them to go a little bit further in their vocals than they had in the past and you can hear it in some of the tracks on this record particularly if you go back and listen to Damn It Mark's voice just sounds strained and I think they both had vocal problems throughout this whole recording as a result of all of this (laughs) Scott, the drummer, being in a wheelchair. So I mentioned earlier that they signed their major label deal and then they had a party. Well, at that party, things happen. People drink beverages and sometimes you jump off of certain things and sometimes you land and you break bones in your feet or your heels. So Scott was actually coming into the studio to record this record in a wheelchair. He had a cast on his left leg. He would wheel in, he'd jump out, he'd sit on his drum throne, uh, hammer out his drum parts and then jump back into his wheelchair and you know Trombino described him as a beast on this he he just said he did a phenomenal job which when a guy's coming in a wheelchair I guess you don't necessarily expect that it's funny to hear him talk about the band in general because if you know anything about Blink you know that they're not serious everything's a joke if you watch interviews with them they don't even answer questions seriously So to hear him describe them as hardworking and very businesslike, I think is hilarious. It's, it's, It's great because you appreciate that they were dedicated to this and they were really trying to be successful. And it sounds like that was their general sentiment. They wanted to make it. They wanted to sell records. They wanted to be a big band. Selling out never seemed like it was a concern or an issue. Um, I think it was for Scott. He had hesitations about signing to a major. I think he wanted to sign to Epitaph, but Mark and Tom weren't really worried about that. So after a couple months of recording, they finish up that record and they turn their eyes towards June 1997 when they're going to release it to the Wild. So June 17th, 1997, Dude Ranch is released. It wasn't huge. Uh, I don't even think it would have been considered a great performance right out of the gate. despite the fact I showed up at midnight the night of the record release, uh, people weren't running to the store to buy it. They were selling you know three or 4 thousand copies a week, which back in the late 90s when people were still buying CDs was not a lot. Um, it, it sold probably 40,000 in the first few months. Uh, I think from major label standards, that's nothing to write home about. But around that time, uh, the label service dammit to radio, and that's where things really start to get going and start snowballing. So some Southern California stations, including the biggest one, which is K Rock in LA, they are always the tastemakers when it comes to rock radio. They picked up dammit, it fit in nicely with everything else that was going on, the green days and the offsprings I mentioned previously. And the snowballing continues. Then it goes to mainstream rock later in the year. In December, MTV puts Damn It into rotation. You start seeing the music video. There's obviously something happening here. Come around to early 1998, they've now sold a quarter of a million copies. And they're charting on Billboard. I think they peaked at 67 on on the Billboard 200 in February of 98. So at that point, we've gone from, eh. We're only selling a few thousand a week to now this, this being a legitimately successful and big record. So turning to the actual record, if you haven't listened to Dude Ranch in a while, hopefully this gives you an excuse to, to revisit it. Um, I've listened to it a bunch over the past few weeks while I was preparing for this and it really does still sound great. One of the things I, I really like about it is the, the variation of the songs. I'll caveat all of this by saying when I say it sounds great and there's variation, this is all in the context of it being a punk record. So take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, it's not a Pennywise record. I'm sorry, Fletcher, where all the songs run together, sound the same. There's just not there's nothing different. And this record does have different. The songs are different. and It has a different vibe throughout it. Another thing I think that's interesting to listen for is the harmonies. This wasn't something that they were doing previously. You can hear, if you go back and listen to their old albums, you can hear a few doubled vocals and maybe some attempts at harmonies on earlier songs. But Dude Ranch was so clearly next level for them. And honestly, you can just listen to track one, Pathetic, for great examples of that. I still, even listening to it now, I don't even know how many times I've listened to that record. Those harmonies still resonate with me. See a technically tight musical performance. You were doing it wrong anyway. But I'm reminded that there's this live recording that I've listened to a ton. I don't even know if I still have it, but I used to listen to it all the time. And during "Pathetic," at one point, that very first harmony, they nailed it in the live recording, and you can tell that even they were surprised they did it. I think it's Tom who yells like, "That was great!" Immediately after they sing that line, but overall. I think it's a great sounding record the songs are really well written whatever your feelings are about blink they really know how to write a song they know how to write good songs you see that if you go forward in their catalog i mean that's part of the reason that they were as successful as they were and again maybe part of this is because i was so in the middle of blink growing up and getting big maybe i'm a homer maybe it's just because i was 16 17 18 years old and had just graduated from high school and that's the only record i listened to for that whole summer after high school but i think any way you slice it it's a massively influential record by you know legitimately one of the most influential punk bands of the late 90s and early 2000s so that's dude ranch i'll leave you with this in josie when mark sings she brings me mexican food from sombrero just because and you wondered if that's a so big deal or even if that's a real restaurant it's both sombrero is real sombrero is delicious san diego has the best mexican food in america that's not even a hot take so thank you for listening i plan to do more of these um maybe in this format maybe a little bit different it might just be me i'd like to get some guests in the future on some of these so we'll see how it all plays out but make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of them and follow on social on instagram it's a quarter century 25 and i even have a tiktok like the young kids that's a quarter century